Welcome to the Akiyama Brothers Song to Screen Podcast, hosted by Mark and Landon Akiyama. This is episode 15, where the brothers talk about the phenomenal stop-motion studio, Laika, including their 10th anniversary of Coraline, Kubo and the Two Strings, and others. Find out more at akiyamamusic.com. Hi, Mark. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You do sound a little tired. Is there something keeping you up? No. Not... A certain legal blonde. That was a... Oh, <laughs> fine, we, we'll call that a transition. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, just been at rehearsals a lot for Legally Blonde. They're doing it at New Village Arts in Carlsbad. Yeah, had previews all weekend. And then we opened this weekend, Saturday, July 27th. And speaking of musicals around San Diego, Once oh, yeah. just got extended again. Yeah, so Once the Musical at the Lambs Players Theater has been extended again to September 2nd. And if you recall, we did cover that on episode 12, Once the Musical, where Mark did a fantastic interview with the cast and crew of Once. Um, as still one of my favorite episodes, even though I wasn't in it. <laughs> and also, if you are a fan of the podcast or if you're new to this episode... Oh yeah, welcome to our new listeners, if there's anybody. I think we have a few. We do, I think so. And if you like this episode, please do share it with your friends. Um, Mark, do you want to talk about the Moment Ambassador? Oh yeah, okay, so if you're, uh, if you do any like photography or you're with your iPhone or Android phone or anything, there's a company, Moment, that puts out really cool lenses um, that just attach to your smartphone camera. And they have like a huge variety of lenses. They have a wide angle, a portrait 60 millimeter lens. Uh, so Mark does know what he's talking about. I do know what I'm talking when about. When it comes to lenses. So if you're looking for a cool smartphone lens, refer to Mark as our moment ambassador. And he will get you a good deal. Um, our link for that moment ambassador program is in the show notes under moment lens. Uh, so follow that link and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. And then it also helps us out a little bit, too, if you use our link. So that's always nice. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's about it. So what do we do this week? Well, this past week was Comic-Con. Oh, boy. Yes. It was crazy. It was crazy. I, You and I went down there, not to Comic-Con. We didn't actually go into the convention center or anything, but we were down in the area. In downtown San Diego, and man, it was packed. But why did we go down there? There was one reason, like literally only one reason we went down there. Well, to see Isaiah Frizzell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we met up with Isaiah. <laughs> Who was in, he was in a few episodes before where we talked about... A quiet Place. Yes. Yeah. So shout out to Isaiah. And we also went down there to see the Leica Live exhibit. Yeah. So if you don't know what Leica is, which... Shame on you. Uh, it's the, they're a stop motion animation company they worked their first movie was Coraline and it's Coraline's 10th anniversary so that was their first movie and then what was next Paranorman yes uh Box Trolls and their latest one Kubo and the Two Strings which is my favorite it's so good and all their movies are stop motion um but not not like claymation kind of thing um that's like Wallace and Gromit no this is um different So what their thing is, is they try to merge technology with stop motion. And um, so they use really advanced techniques. And what they get with stop motion 
um, is they get really, really expressive puppets now, and they really try to push the animation, stop motion animation techniques, and blending that with um, a little bit of computer uh, technology and rapid prototyping and 3D printing. And so we'll get into that a little bit because we ourselves are kind of stop motion animators. So we've studied their studied their films and their techniques a lot um, when we were working on one of our uh, early musicals that we wrote, the short musical um, about Red Riding Hood, where we were filming it in stop motion. So um, we did a lot of research on them and absolutely love Leica. So it was really cool. Yeah, let's talk about the exhibit. Yeah, so what they had this year, they had an exhibit last year at Comic-Con, and it was they had on display some of the sets and everything, but this year, uh, for they call it Like Alive. So they had they actually had some puppet fabricators, an armaturist, which is the guys who make the... How do I explain this? They the, make the skeleton of the puppets. Yeah, they make, they make the puppet skeletons that are inside the puppets so that they hold the positions and so the animators can move them in any way they want and tie them down to the set and they can suspend them in the air and everything. Um, so they had a couple of the people that work in the puppet hospital to also fix the puppets when they break, when they're on set. And then they also had, they had an animator, which was really, really cool. Uh, what was his name? I forget his name. I should know his name. The first guy we went to go see was Jason. Jason. That's right. He's, um, he worked on Anna Kendrick's uh, character in Paranorman, the sister, and then he's done Kubo. He's done um, a lot of the. Yeah, I think he worked on all the projects. Yeah, he's been on all the projects, but he's um, one of the lead animators there. Yeah. And uh, so he, what they have is one of the sets from Kubo set up in the exhibit, and he's um, actually animating Kubo running from the moon king in one of the ending scenes the ending chase scenes and everything so he's actually animating in front of you so you can watch how they animate and then he kind of explains what they do and um how the technology works and everything what they do with the camera how they capture the pictures how they oh yeah we didn't even explain that okay so basically if you don't know what stop motion is i i just assumed and i glossed over everything so stop motion is um if any of you have seen Nightmare Before Christmas is one of the most famous examples. Um, James and the Giant Peach. Those are all stop motion. So what you do is you have um, puppets. Am I talking too much, Landon? No, keep going. So what you have are puppets on set and everything is real. Um, like Physical, practical. Physical, real. Yeah. Real sets, all miniature, usually one-sixth scale or something. So the characters are about a foot tall. Um, so that makes it easier for the animators to work with them. Uh, so they're not super tiny, but yeah, the basic idea of stop motion is you have a puppet and you take a picture of the puppet with a camera. Like nowadays you can use any DSLR camera. Um, and then, so you take a picture, then you move the puppet a little bit, like a very small amount. And then you take another picture and then you keep doing that. And then after 24 pictures, boom, you get one second of film. That's it. One second. Just one second. So uh, most stop motion animated movies are filmed at 24 frames per second, which is like a standard movie. Um, so they have 24 pictures uh, all stitched together for one second of film. And then you just keep doing that until you have roughly a 90 minute film. So it's a lot of work, a lot of detail, a lot of, a lot of painstaking hours. 
And in stop motion, uh, they like to say you don't get anything for free. Anything that happens in live action, like the wind blowing uh, a jacket or something, everything has to be animated. And everything that moves, you have to be able to set it up so that it can hold the position. And you have to physically move it when you want. Yeah. So nothing can move freely. Everything has to be set. So basically, if you have a cape flying in the wind, they put wires through the cape so that you can move the cape for every frame and then take the picture. So nothing nothing can be moving. Everything has to be, right? How do I explain this? Yeah, everything's stiff uh, until the animator goes in and moves it 24 times to get a second. Um, basically, everything to has mimic, to... You have to you, the, I guess the animator has to mimic the illusion of motion. Yeah. So everything has to be controlled, pretty much. So stop motion is about controlling everything and animating everything very, very slowly. (laughs) The other thing, yeah, with each of their movies, they try to tell a different story and have a completely different look and a different art direction. Um, So they, they do a good job, like, isolating each film and not having a, a broad studio style. Like, each film looks distinct, which is really cool. So first we're going to talk about Kubo and the Two Strings, and then we're going to talk about Coraline, and then we're going to talk about Paranorman, and then Box Trolls, and then the next project that Leica is coming out with in 2019. Okay, yeah, Kubo. So Kubo is probably one of my favorite movies of them. I don't really know why. Because it's Japanese cultured? No, but not because of that. Their story in it is really, um, really special uh, about like a boy finding his family and dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff that happens. There's like, he has a couple ants that want to kill him. He lost his eye because his grandpa took his eye. His grandpa is basically a god. Sounds like a dangerous family. He's like a... He's (laughs) He's like the moon god? Moon king. Moon king, yes. Yeah. Well, it was uh, directed by the CEO of like a Travis Knight. Yes. The head of story, Chris Butler... And the original idea and character designer, Shannon Tyndall. And music composed by Dario Marianelli. Yes. And he's actually, uh, Dario Marianelli's actually also worked on, was it? He did Box, Box Trolls. Trolls. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. So he's he's done a couple of films with Leica. Yeah, so the idea for Kubo and the Two Strings was they wanted an epic quest story um, about... Um, Which, as we mentioned before, that's very rarely done in stop motion uh, because these quests are usually action films that take a lot of time, even for live action, and that gets multiplied a lot when you're doing stop motion. Yeah, so they've come like a really long way from Jason and the Argonauts skeleton fights and the, what was it used? Uh, the King Kong was a stop motion puppet, the original oh, King yeah. Kong also, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> And also this Kubo and the Two Strings, it was made true to Japanese culture. The art direction of the movie is also based on um, Japanese woodblock paintings and art. So it looks very... Well, they try to texture every surface of the movie, of the characters, and of the sets sets in this kind of woodblock woodblock texture that's akin to Japanese culture. Yeah. And they also got some some good... uh, Pretty cool voice actors for the movie, too. Charlie Saren plays Monkey. 
Um, Matthew McConaughey plays, plays Beetle. Beetle. George Takei is in it as one of the, the Japanese elders in the town who kind of explains the, the history of the, the Japanese Lantern Festival um, where they honor the spirits of their ancestors, um, which is kind of what the whole movie is sort of centered around. Kubo lost his father and his mother is sort of ill and he wants to know more about his father. And so he goes on a quest to kind of find out more about his family and yeah that's how he finds out about his uh evil sisters and his evil aunts and the evil moon king yeah aka his grandpa who turns into a fish oh we shouldn't say that spoilers sorry wow (laughs) sorry 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 that's okay it's been out for about a while yeah two years so there's really no no more spoilers yeah um but yeah as mark said the lantern festival it's called the oban festival and dance and in the movie the underscore that you hear in those these first few minutes of the movie, uh, it's it's a song about coal miners, and so it's a Japanese folk song about coal miners to honor the spirits of one's ancestors. And now that we're talking a little bit about the music, most of this, Mark, let's dive into the score. Shall we? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I mean, there's so much to talk about stop motion wise, but yeah, we're a music podcast, so I guess we should get to the music. <laughs> so Dario Marianelli wrote the music for Kubo and he this one's actually interesting because Kubo his he plays um an instrument a Japanese folk instrument called a shamisen so the shamisen is a Japanese traditional plucked instrument uh shamisen literally means three strings in Japanese and um there's it's really cool because there's different techniques to play with the left hand on the on the strings and then the right hand so in the right hand, you, you play it with a plectrum, like a, a big pick, and it's called a bocce. It's, it's like usually, an oversized pick that looks like a fishtail. Yeah, it's huge. Or dovetail, yeah. either one, yeah. And it's usually made of ivory, horn, or plastic. So the right hand um, can downstroke the strings and then upstroke the strings also. Um, so the right hand uses the pick to pluck. And then the left hand on the frets, which is really cool, you use the first three fingers on your left hand, and you can either, you hold down the frets also, but then you use your other fingers to to pluck the strings it would, also. It would be like a hammer-on or a pull-off for guitar. So pretty similar to that. Um, that kind of left-hand technique and right-hand technique with up-and-down strokes of a pick. Uh, except it's a little yeah. bit easier because you're only using half the strings as a guitar. <laughs> you have three, and your pick is a lot bigger on your for your right hand. Yeah. So, yeah, you use a combination of both the right hand picking and then the left hand plucking to do um, really fast, really intricate um, melodic melodies and stuff. So you use a combination of like the right hand picking and then the left hand plucking and holding down the frets and strings to do really fast uh, moving lines and stuff. Um, And we'll actually put a link to a video of a lady who explains the different musical styles of shamisen, the traditional styles, and you can see what one looks like. Um, but yeah, in the story, Kubo plays a shamisen, and his mom is like a witch, so she passed on her magic powers to him. <laughs> so, And if we had a shamisen, I would play it for you, but unfortunately we don't, because yeah. you can only get an authentic one in Japan, 
They're yeah. they're very hard to find here, and yeah. we really really want one, so we're gonna have to go to Japan and just shop around for one. Because they're really good for vocal and narrative storytelling. That's what they used to be used for. They're very simple to pick up. Um, I guess maybe like a, a cigar box guitar might be similar to it, or sort of. Even a, yeah, I guess the I guess I suppose the banjo would be more like it. It sounds like. Picture a banjo, a Japanese banjo, and then that's what the sound is. I'm sure you've heard. It's not. You've yeah, probably heard one. Before. It doesn't sound quite as like a banjo. Like I think the shamisen has more overtones because they use silk strings yeah. instead of nylon or steel strings. Um, so these strings are a little bit more, more rich and kind of a little bit. They make. They more, have more colors. Yes, thank say. you. And you can control the colors also. Yeah, since there's no frets. Yeah, you can really make it. So you can what you want yeah you can slide up and down on the strings like a that kind of thing um (laughs) that probably wasn't very helpful i don't know (laughs) but um yeah so in the story the shamisen is how kubo uses his magic uh to like fight and survive and even though there's there's three strings on the shamisen the title is kubo and the two strings so if you watch the movie, you you know why it's called that. But um, if we you haven't tell seen, him? no, we're not gonna tell him. That's a major spoiler. We're not gonna do that. So go see the movie because it's really awesome. So, um, yeah, there's also a few other cool instruments like the shakuhachi. Yeah, we actually do have a shakuhachi, so I can demonstrate that. But let's talk about it a little bit first, right? Yeah, you want to do that, Mark? You're better explaining than I am. Oh boy, go for it. <laughs> So shakuhachi is, um, it's popular in film scores for horror horror sounds, because um, it's got like a lot of overtones, so it can do um, like ghostly kind of squeals. Um, like I'm sure you've heard it in a bunch of horror scores, but they actually use it in Kubo for a lot of the main melodies for the score. Because traditionally, the shakuhachi and the shamisen, um, they'll be played together for uh, like storytelling purposes in Japanese folk music. Uh, it's so yeah. So the shakuhachi is a a bamboo flute. It's made from a a big piece of bamboo, and then they bore out the inside, and then there's five holes, uh, four on top, and then one thumb hole on the bottom. And it looks really kind of weird because it still looks like a stick of bamboo. <laughs> they, <laughs> The more professional ones, um, also the more expensive ones, have the, the bamboo root still on it. So they pull up the bamboo and then they cut off the roots. And so the end of the end of the flute is sort of bent and it gets wider. So it forms like a cone. And so you can see the root, it's it's bigger at the bottom. And then there's different things. They can they bind it with uh, bamboo so to keep or to help prevent the flute from um, from cracking because Splitting, yeah. because it's bamboo, it's really sensitive to temperature changes. It's actually kind of hard to play. <laughs> it's not it's not easy. There's at the mouthpiece, it's just the the end of the bamboo is cut at an angle, and then you have um, you have either a ivory or horn inlay uh, for the mouthpiece. So you rest your lip on that and then you blow across the top 
it's kind of difficult to get a sound actually. But I will try to demonstrate it for you. I actually used one in for a movie I was working on. So I, I learned how to play basic stuff with it. So uh, I'll show you that. But yeah, he found a teacher and he was like, um, I want to learn the shakuhachi, but I only want to learn the cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All the tricks. But now, now I want to learn how to actually like play it. So eventually I'll get to that because it's, it's useful and I have one. So it's awesome. And the main tuning of the shakuhachi is a pentatonic scale. Uh, shaku in Japanese is a measurement for foot, and hachi means eight. So it's like translates to 1.8 feet. And that's usually the standard length of the flute. So it's, it's pretty big. And the 1.8 foot flute is in the key of D, and D being the lowest note. And then... They also come in in longer lengths in different keys, so you can think of it sort of like uh, you have the flute, and then they go into like a tenor flute, and then sort of like a bass flute sort of thing. The longer the longer the length of the flute, so you can get different keys. Those are also, I mean, that just extends the length of the flute also. So since the shakuhachi uh, is based on a pentatonic scale. Marianelli uses the pentatonic scale a lot in this score, um, but you know he doesn't he doesn't do it uh, where it's where it's like kind of your typical pentatonic scale where you're going up and down up and down the notes from the lowest to the bottom that you usually hear when people are using this scale. Instead, he makes beautiful melodies um, using using the scale to his advantage. So, so what makes a pentatonic scale different from your diatonic scale is the diatonic has seven pitches um, from octave to octave, basically, and then the pentatonic scale only has five of those pitches from the diatonic. So the pentatonic leaves out the second and the sixth intervals to, to lower, to basically you're subtracting two notes from that seven scale and then you're left with five, hence pentatonic. Instead of being limited to that, though, Marianelli uh, uses that to uh, write really flourishing Japanese-style music. Just to be clear, though, even though the shakuhachi is the is its native scale is pentatonic, you can play a major scale with it. It just requires you to do uh, cover the holes only halfway with your fingers, and and kind of do different 
um, fingering techniques, uh, which is getting really advanced and it's difficult to keep the, the tone consistent with that, but it is possible. And, um, the professional players don't have any problem. So Shakuhachi is like, because you can do those half steps a lot and, uh, kind of bend the notes uh shakuhachi is actually used for a lot of jazz music also which is kind of cool oh wow that's awesome yeah jazz shakuhachi is really really neat and actually that sounds super difficult though yeah actually (laughs) there's a really good video um of somebody playing jazz shakuhachi so we'll put a link to that i'll make sure to do that also and another thing that makes this score one of my all-time favorites is they use while my guitar gently weeps Oh, yeah, in the end credits. In the end credits, yeah. So the original, uh, it's based off of the the Beatles song, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. But this one is arranged by Dario Marianelli and sung by Regina Spector. And it also features a shamisen, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the very beginning and all throughout. And it's a really great version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And it it mimics the simplicity of of the original Beatles version, but with new Japanese um, instrumentations. Since our main character Kubo ends up playing the shamisen all throughout the movie, um, one of the most notable things is there's a difference between the music that you hear and the music that characters are playing or or sounds that are heard on that are supposed to be recorded and heard in the film. So, yeah, the difference between diegetic and non-diegetic sounds. Right. So diegetic is all the sounds that you hear. In the in the film coming from the film coming from the film like yes. a car radio playing music okay yeah yeah like the car footsteps leaves falling um, thunder yeah. lightning and then also music any kind of music or instruments that a character might be playing on screen and then non diegetic is all the sounds that you hear in post so that would be like the score but this is interesting because the score is woven through the film uh, through Kubo who's playing in a diegetic manner. So, yeah, non-diegetic sounds are stuff that the characters aren't hearing because it's not coming from the film. So anything from the soundtrack, the score, so anything from the score uh, usually is the biggest example. Yeah, so in this case, Kubo playing the shamisen in the movie is diegetic because he's actually playing it and the characters can hear him play it. And then there's a couple scenes where when he does play it, the magic origami happens, which I don't even think we brought it up yet. But like part of Kubo's powers are he he can control origami and paper and fold the paper into origami by playing the shamisen. So there's a couple scenes where like he brings origami birds to life. And that's part of like the charm that is the story of Kubo. 
And what's really cool is like the stop motion puppets that they made for the origami characters, they didn't make them out of paper, but they made them out of like a, they came up with a special material that looks like paper and behaves like paper, but is resilient to all the movements that they had to make. And then, so yeah, there's a couple characters in the movie that are actually origami figures, but they're super sophisticated puppets still. They're not just like paper origami characters, <laughs> but I thought that was really cool the way they did the origami puppets. Yeah. So here's the Ancestor track, which is, I think it's track number four on the soundtrack um, by Dario Marianelli. And you can hear the Shakuhachi right here. So you can hear the shakuhachi playing a pentatonic scale and then playing pentatonic notes uh, and then it transitions to strings um, but you're not really playing it scale by scale, note by note, up, to, up and down the scale. It's more Marianelli uses it in a more melodic way which is a little bit more appealing to the ear and it sounds less like you're just trying to mimic a Asian or kind of Japanese cultured sound. It sounds more like you're creating something more beautiful out of the notes that you have. Yeah, he did a good job with that, where he wrote melodies that support the story rather than just writing melodies that kind of place you in Japan. Exactly. And some interesting trivia, if you didn't know, they used, when when creating the characters, one of the characters was a, the sister, the evil sister. Um, she wears a cape. And for the purposes of stop motion, that cape had to be, uh, in a, the cape had to be controlled. And the way that they figured out how to do that was they used piano wire. Ah, piano wire. Exactly, yeah. Not just for your piano. (laughs) So they arranged the piano wire to create a mesh. They layered the laser-cut feathers of the cape onto that, the the piano wire mesh that they they made. Yeah, and those feathers were hand-stitched onto the woven framework uh, of the piano wire. And they decided to go with piano wire because it slides really easily on itself and it stretches um, pretty easily and it, create, and it keeps its form also. And one of the things to hold that structure was an armature framing the cape itself so they can move it and kind of create waves in, in a controlled manner so that they can photograph it and yeah. add it. And what, what we mean by armature is like you have, usually you'll have like, the simplest one is like a ball and then it's on the end of a stick and then you connect it to another stick and then you can move the ball joints um, that way. You have connecting sticks. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the easiest way to explain it. It's hard to, yeah. Uh-huh. The other thing, um, this isn't music related exactly, but they, one of the coolest things is they built a 
gigantic skeleton puppet for one of the one of the action scenes and it, it's the largest stop motion puppet ever made it's and, 18 feet yeah well it was so big they couldn't even assemble it in in its entirety they had to cut it in half yeah so they had the top portion the torso and head and, and arms and then they had the bottom portion which was just the waist and the legs and that was kind of their tribute to jason and the argonauts uh skeleton fight scene which every stop motion animator kind of goes back to as being their inspiration Anyway, yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings, one of our favorite movies. Um, I think the film that they're most known for is Coraline. Um, that one came out in 2009. Oh, yeah, and speaking of which, it was their 10th anniversary last week, hence why they were at Comic-Con and the Leica, they had the Leica Live exhibit. Anyway, Coraline was directed by Henry Selleck, who was also the director of Nightmare Before Christmas. Which is sometimes confusing because Tim Burton wrote the story. It's Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, but Henry Selleck directed it. So Coraline kind of has the same sort of creepy, uh, twisted feel from Henry Selleck that he's known for. As well as James and the Giant Peach. Right. It was another stop motion one that he directed and worked on. Yeah. And this movie was based on the book by Neil Gaiman. And then we have our lead animator back then in 2009. It was Travis Knight. And the music was composed by Bruno Coulet, French composer. Uh, so Henry Selleck, we're going to say this, we're, he's going on record and he says that music and sound takes up about a third of the film. So it was really important for him to find a composer uh, that was so in, so in tune with the project and creative that this composer needed to give the film life. And Bruno gives it that life and Henry Selleck says that he opens it up um, with his dark kind of interesting mystery score so bruno coulet has been declared the danny elfman of france because he uses a lot of coarse singing lightly in the background <laughs> of all his scores yeah and you can really hear that in the end credit song which we'll play here audio clip you can hear that chorus singing lightly um but in the background there's also a bunch of violent bass drums to make the audience feel like the story is not quite over yet uh because other mother is not dead yes <laughs> our main villain of this Coraline story this was a really fun score though because I mean, we don't exactly have a lot of time to talk about it but it is very light and bouncy kind of sounding so it highlights more of Coraline's age as a, a young kid uh, it's a little more playful but in like a creepy kind of way because other mother wants to sew buttons on her eyes yeah and also Bruno he mentioned that lighting was very important for him as the composer for this film um, he said he couldn't do anything without the facial lighting because in each each scenario the, the lighting is different like when the other when the other mother's trying to lure Coraline into the alternate reality, the lighting is a bit more friendly. Uh, 
where in reality that lighting is a little bit darker uh, kind of more gloomy like doom and gloom rain all the time in Oregon so Bruno says that the relationship between the music and lighting was one of the biggest influences for him for this film and as the lighting evolves the music also evolves into more calming or realizing that something strange is happening or even fantastic and even a little bit disturbing at times yeah it's kind of a twisted story <laughs> if you haven't seen it but um but it's one of like is most popular yeah i think it's because it was uh film directed by henry selick and he has a pretty big cult following from mm-hmm. from his other movies another interesting and kind of creepy film that like has done is paranorman I would say it's not as creepy as Coraline. It's more supernatural based. It's a story about a boy who can talk to ghosts and see ghosts and everyone around him thinks he's crazy and thinks he's a witch. And uh, there's a town curse that comes back every year and he has now been forced to take the mantle to uh, sort of try to stop the curse from his, his crazy uncle. Yes, so this film was directed by Sam Fell and Chris Butler. And Chris Butler was also the writer for this. Uh, Chris Butler also happened to be the head of story for Kubo. And Chris Butler is also the director for Missing Link, which comes out in 2019 by produced by Leica. Yeah, that's their new movie they're working on right now. The whole feel of Paranorman is sort of like an 80s kind of horror zombie style movie. So the music... Um, really plays off of that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> they use a lot of synthesizers and... Um, they also do some musical motif shout-outs to previous films. Yeah, there's a scene where Norman's friend, who's not exactly his friend yet, but tries to hang out with him because they're both loners, and he's like, let's be lonely together. <laughs> but his cell phone ringtone, they do the the Halloween theme john carpenter's halloween theme the one that goes uh yeah that one so they did a lot of cool um homages to 80s horror movies and zombie movies and that kind of thing which was a lot of fun and it's another diegetic example yeah there you go using the lingo (laughs) and speaking of the score the biggest theme in this film is norman's it's called norman's walk which we mostly hear very in the, in the early on in the beginning when we find out about Norman's kind of supernatural abilities. And then as he starts understanding why he was born this way, why he has these abilities, why he can see ghosts, as he learns more about himself, this, this theme changes also with him. So here's a clip of Norman's walk.
So right here, the music swells, and that's where in the movie, the, our perspective shifts, and we can see what Norman sees, like all the ghosts around town and everything. This was the way they introduced Norman's abilities to see ghosts. So they did it in a way that didn't make it seem like it was something freaky, but it was just how it was the norm. Yeah. So it was a calm walk to school for Norman and like every other day, pretty much. Yeah. It was everything just in the norm for him. Yeah. Norm. Paranorman. And then their other movie, the box trolls, which that one came out in June 2014. Yes. Uh, it was directed by Graham Annabelle Anthony Stacci, music composer, again, Dario Marianelli, producer Travis Knight, and the author Alan Snow, based off of the book Here Be Monsters. Yeah. So this one is, just briefly, it's about um, a little boy who was abandoned and then raised by trolls that live in a cave. Box trolls, and they wear boxes as their clothing. <laughs> and so the premise for the box trolls is they they like go around town at night and like gather things that they think would be useful. And so they're kind of like inventors. And um, Marianelli uses that in his score for one of the scenes where they're raising the kid. Um, the fish, one of the box trolls, is playing a saw. So if you, which is, I know it sounds weird, but as a percussionist, that's like a common thing to do in, in contemporary music is you play a saw with like a violin bow. So if you, you like hold the saw between your legs and then, yeah, this is a a wood metal, a sheet metal wood saw. So it's like your typical back and forth hand saw. So what you do is you bow the side of the saw that doesn't have the teeth. If you bend the saw while you're playing it, you get um, gliss, gliss sounds and it goes like and you can change the pitch based on how you bend it. So it's kind of like a theremin, but with a saw. And then also speaking of interesting in- instruments, speaking of interesting instruments, that's a mouthful. They also use a toy piano. Yeah. Uh-huh. So a lot of the choices for the instruments that he used... Marianelli wanted to show that the box trolls are like scavengers, inventive. They repurpose things. They turn things that they find into instruments. They use things to decorate their their cave. So the toy piano um, kind of gives like a plunky little, I don't know what I'm saying. It's like a plunky little way of 
of in, uh, reinforcing that the box trolls work with their hands and that they're they can make something out of nothing. So even something as simple as like a toy piano can play a big part in the score. Yeah, which you have here in this audio clip. This is Egg's Music Box, track number four. Yeah, so most of the score for this film, The Box Trolls, it has sort of a like a French indie film kind of feel with the piano, light light strings, and more of an intimate sound than some of the previous movies that they've done, including Kubo, which is adventure quest music. Ba-ba-ba-bam. Yeah. Um, so those that's pretty much all the movies that Like has done so far. Missing Link which comes out April 19th in 2019. Um, It doesn't have a composer attached to it yet. So yeah, we will, I guess, find out more about that when they, they release more information. But they did talk about the actors that they have voice acting in it, which is Hugh Jackman, Zoe Saldana, Zach Galifianakis. They, they're going to be starring in the most ambitious film to date, a rip roaring globe trotting comedy adventure. That's how Leica yeah. says it, but yeah, Hugh Jackman, his character is like a hunter, um, investigator extraordinaire. Zoe Saldana is a guide, and Zach Galifianakis happens to be playing the missing link. Whatever that means, yeah. <laughs> we they're very mysterious about their movies, which is cool, but also frustrating. So we'll find out more. But yeah. Unfortunately, the Leica exhibit is closed because Comic-Con is over now, so we can't tell you guys to go see it. But we'll post some pictures and some videos on our Instagrams um, showing what was there and some of the behind the scenes. Yeah, so Leica's done a lot of cool things with their films. I could talk about their animation forever. There's so much stuff that I didn't get to share with you guys um, as far as animating techniques and everything. Uh, There's also tons of stuff to talk about for their music but we just don't have time so if you are interested and there's a lot of cool things that they like to do with the the music to make each film sound very distinct and have its own or live in its own world and what like is really good at is um they've even though they've put a team together for all their stop motion movies which is kind of unusual because in the past um when there's a stop motion movie that came out, like Tim Burton's Corpse Bride or Nightmare Before Christmas, usually a team of uh, stop motion animators would just be hired to come together for that film. But what Leica has done is they created a studio just for animated or stop motion animated films. So this team like stays together and they develop their, sto- their stories together and they go through the animation process together, uh, which is really cool that they built a studio like that. And... They each and they tr- really tried to make each film feel like it lives in its own world, uh, and they do a really good job of that too with uh, how the score plays out using unique instruments and 
and different styles. Yeah, Mark and I are big fans of Leica Studios. And if you can't tell, we're super fans. We're not just super fans, though. We like because we dabbled in stop motion. We understand them. We like to think. <laughs> yeah, so we're just absolutely huge fans of Leica, not just because of their movies, but because um, we've done some stop motion animation. So we appreciate what they do and can <laughs> really use them to study how to do a scene or something. So I've looked at their techniques really in depth. And um, yeah, if you have, haven't heard of Leica before or haven't seen any of these movies, I would definitely, I would definitely recommend watching one of them. I would say start with Kubo because it's my favorite. I don't know which one Landon's favorite is, but yeah, I'd say Kubo is my favorite. too. You can't have Kubo as your favorite. That's my favorite. Okay. Pick a different one. Well, then I like Paranorman. Paranorman is good. I like Coraline. I like Box Rules too. Yeah, yeah. I'd say my two favorites are Kubo and Coraline. I think. Okay, well then my two favorites, I basically already said them, Kubo and Paranorman. Yeah. So as you can see, Mark and I are big fans. We hope you are too. And now we hope you're a big fan of this episode. Uh, so please do share it with your friends. Um, refer to our Instagrams to see a little bit of the behind the scenes at the Like a Live studio. I hope you enjoyed this audio tour of their live studio. Yeah, so find us on Instagram uh, at Mark underscore Akiyama and at Landon underscore Akiyama. Uh, check out our YouTube page, Akiyama Music, our website, AkiyamaMusic.com. Um, and also, again, if you use your smartphone for any kind of film or photography, uh, definitely check out the Moment Lenses and use our referral code to get 10% off. Yep, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And thanks for listening. Yep. Bye. Bye.